thank you for tuning into the 22nd episode of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. If you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. You can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. A little hesitation there at the beginning because I finally remembered to reach down and start my stopwatch about halfway through my little speech there of welcoming you to the show. So episode 22. And uh, this one, I've got the soapbox already. I wish I could set the stage. Matter of fact, I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to pull, uh, turn off the stopwatch, put the old camera down there. I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm going to go selfie on me here, but I'm going to take a little picture of the setup and I'll try to throw that. Here's a little plug for, I'm trying to build up my Instagram page, as all the kids say. Uh, that's important. I'm gaining some followers, posting stuff about the virtual couch and the uh, my Instagram page is uh, virtual couch, the virtual couch. I should probably know that, but you, you'll be able to find it, I'm sure. Um, you can also go to virtualcouch.xyz. That's where all of the, um, the episodes are. And I would love for you to leave comments or also email me on guest ideas or your questions and answers. Plenty more of those um, episodes coming up with Q and A's, and there's also a place if you scroll a little bit further down the page. If you would be, if you would like to make a donation that will help keep the Virtual Couch podcast alive, takes care of um, hosting fees and equipment and that sort of thing. That's where you can do that. Or please go to iTunes or your podcast app on your iPhone, and there you can subscribe to the Virtual Couch podcast. Um, you can review it. You can uh, um, give us a, a rating, and uh, I'm beyond grateful for that. Uh, I think I think there's 96 or 97 at the at the time of this um, five star ratings, and so um, you know I. I uh, when somebody gets to 100, I guess if you know it's you, um, send me an email at contact at pathbackrecovery.com and I will send you something from Eli's Extracts. Uh, also, on that note, I, I want to tell you the folks at Eli's Extracts, I think I alluded to this earlier, um, have sent me some really neat stuff. They've got some big plans that are coming up. Some uh, I think we're going to do some giveaways and that sort of thing. And so I know that I won't do a commercial to them justice today because I am I am ready to go. This is a podcast I've been waiting to do for a while. It's going to be just me. I apologize for that in advance. Um, but again, it's something that I am just so passionate about. And there is the air conditioner coming on in my room. So I hope that that is not going to be uh, too loud because I don't want to stop right now. Um, I'm I'm kind of ready to start talking, so I'll uh, I'll listen to this and post. And uh, I guess at that point, there's really not going to be much I can do. So if you hear a humming above me, um, it is a humming of power and truth and righteousness that is about to come with me. It's not the air conditioning in my room, um, but I guess it is seven o'clock in the morning. That's when it kicks in. So you know, well, and on that note, really quickly, so Eli's Extracts, as always, go to Eli's-Extracts.com. Use the coupon code Virtual Couch, all one word, and there you'll get 25% off your entire order. And also thanks to the folks at Covenant Eyes. That's a, a, an internet filtering software that I am I'm growing more and more a fan of. And if you sign up and use the the code Virtual Couch, all one word there too, um, they kick back a little bit to uh, to us at the Virtual Couch that again helps pay for those. Um, uh, the, the various fees that come with podcasting, hosting, equipment, and that sort of thing. So the picture I took that I'll probably post, I got my water ready. I've got the top off. Could be um, could be a mistake. Uh, I got it around electronic equipment, but I've got a fidget cube in hand. The stopwatch is going. 
And I'm ready. Uh, here's what I want to talk about today. You know, I'm asked a fair amount um, why, as a therapist who has devoted over a decade to working with individuals and couples who struggle with pornography addiction, compulsive sexual behavior, um, as somebody who has an online program that you hear me pitch at the beginning of every episode, pathbackrecovery.com, that is designed to help people overcome pornography addiction, a program that took me months to put together with uh, the help of a good friend, Craig Para, that I'm going to have on at a later episode as well. Um, who developed the Mindful Habit System, which is um, I'm a certified Mindful Habit Coach. That's what that means. A couple times I have people say, hey, I didn't know you coached. Um, You bet. Coached all my kids in sports and that sort of thing. This is kind of a different thing. Uh, The Mindful Habit is a a system that helps people overcome um, compulsive behaviors. Not only pornography addiction, but you can use this Mindful Habit System to overcome um, any any negative behavior, gambling, um, food addictions, that sort of thing. But so I worked on this program for a couple of years, um, you know, uh, spent a fair amount of money, and it took time to bring this thing to market. So why, if that is my passion, that's what I work with every day, why only one podcast so far, one episode on pornography addiction, when there are other podcasts out there that are focused primarily on pornography addiction from people who don't even work with it on a daily basis? And to that I say... That is a fair question. And, and I'll tell you, here's my, um, if you've listened to some of the other episodes, I believe in being vulnerable, raw, authentic. I've even made up the word vulnerable, authentic, kind of a mouthful there. I've got it on a little sticky here in my office. Um, but I don't really want to cram it down people's throat. I know that might sound like, well, if I'm passionate about it, you know, wouldn't that be the, the angle? But I don't. And part of the whole desire to put together a podcast was because I really just wanted to be able to share things that I see. Um, in therapy, things that I think and hope will help other people. And I really wanted to bring on um, guests. And I, I've had, well, that's that's been a lot of fun to hear that feedback. And it's really fun to hear uh, everybody has a different opinion. I get emails and I have people that uh, come up to me and say they want to hear more of just uh, what I, what I kind of notice in therapy and when I want to get up on a soapbox, those kind of things. And I just had somebody yesterday who I, I really, uh, really um, value this person's opinion, tell me that he really likes likes the deep dives when I get the guests, the experts on. And, and to that, there is so much coming up. I have a therapist coming on talking about anxiety on eating disorders. Um, you know, got part two of Kella Olson talking about um, professional sports. Uh, just so much good coming up that, uh, that we'll have with those experts. But there are still things that I really want to talk about. So today, um, you know, it's true. I, I've spent thousands and thousands of hours working with people talking with people, going to trainings uh, about pornography addiction. And we're going to talk about in a minute that there's even some questions that people have on whether or not we can call it an addiction. So I want to give my two cents today. And I want this to be an episode that I hope that you can share with a spouse, that you can share with a teenager. Um, I want to make it family friendly. I want to um, have this be something that you can, I would love for you to share it on social media, um, just so that we can keep the dialogue going about pornography addiction and the dangers of pornography, um, how it warps people's sexuality. I've watched it warp sexuality. I've watched it cause people to isolate, to lose jobs, families, maybe even worse, rob people of their self-esteem. I've watched it, uh, pornography addiction rob people of their relationships with others, people in their families, um, you know, rob them of their relationship with God, rob them of their potential. They waste hours upon hours just mindlessly clicking from site to site and picture to picture, often caught up in a cycle of addiction. So yeah, I'm sometimes worried that I could fill all of the storage space on your phone talking about this problem, um, begging you and pleading with you to to not ignore the problem. In fact, if it is a problem, and if it's not a problem, if you don't even feel like it's a problem, if you feel 
Like you could stop at any time or, uh, you know, I just want you to take a look at it. I want you to be able to have a conversation with yourself about pornography. I want you to be able to have a conversation with your family in particular, with your teenagers. It's not going away. I've said it and I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to be too dramatic about it, but it's a plague and it is it is not going away. It's intensifying in, um, in, in how we, we see things around us. Um, and if you ever heard that analogy of, uh, um, it's, uh, and again, I always question why would you want to boil a frog? But if you were going to boil one, you put them in uh, some water and it's on cold and then you slowly turn it up. And before you know it, I guess it's bubbling and he doesn't even know what hit him. So I really do feel like there's a, there's a general numbing of us to sexuality and uh, objectifying um, men and women, um, particularly women in society in general. And that's something that's been happening slowly over time. And I don't think we're even aware about it. So I just want us to have this conversation. I really do. I feel like you owe it to yourself or your spouse or your kids or your future spouse and kids or to the very least to get some tools to help you challenge your relationship with pornography or compulsive sexual behavior or objectifying women or men or to just challenge your relationship if you are um, a man, whether you're spiritual, whether you're not spiritual, even with things like uh, masturbation. Um, I know that, uh, oh, there I go. I said it. Now I've said two things, the word pornography and the word masturbation. So I know in my world, terms like pornography and masturbation can sound shocking, but I think that's part of the problem. Part of what fuels the guilt and shame is that we feel like we can't say those words. Uh, You know, I have an opportunity to speak on this topic often, and I remember I used to um, this shows you this This talk's a little bit dated, but I used to just want to go in there and you know, give Harry Potter references and how, you know, we couldn't say the name Voldemort. And I kind of felt like pornography was the same thing. It was I was there to talk about a subject which should not be named. So, um, you know, I thought it was uh, pretty healthy for people to even just say the word um, because we need to be able to talk about it. Talk about it, identify it, call it out. I want you to create a relationship with your kids where you can walk down the mall and somebody can point out, hey, that's pornography. Um, We have that conversation if we've watched a movie or, again, uh, see it on billboards or that sort of thing. And remember, here's a nice plug again for how to talk to your teens or how to talk to your spouse. And I've got some great episodes coming up on this on EFT, this emotionally focused therapy pioneered by a therapist named Sue Johnson. That is all, it's a different way. It's a different paradigm of how to communicate with each other. And it's one where we want our spouse, we want our kids to be able to feel like they can come to us with anything and that we're not going to overreact, that we're kind of leading with empathy, that we're going to listen, that we're going to seek awareness because we care about people that much, those people in our lives. And so we're going to turn off our response mechanism that wants to fix or judge. Again, we're going to lead with empathy and understanding, or at least a desire to understand, um, because then we're going to, you know, that we're going to create this um, this this relationship with somebody where they feel like they can talk to us, and that is imperative when we're talking about pornography uh, or or problems related to sexuality. We want our kids, our spouse, to be able to come to us and be open. And we want to be able to take in, have full awareness, and then sure, we're going to be able to share our thoughts. We're going to be able to um, enforce and set clear boundaries. That stuff still happens, but but we want to be able to give this problem a voice. So here's the thing. I want to start with a couple of studies. I want to, I want to just kind of run over some things today. Maybe we'll call it the basics. So there's a great site called fightthenewdrug.org. And if you just want to go take a deep dive on the research angle alone, um, Fight the New Drug has just such a, there's a, there's a link that says get the facts. And um, that section has so many very well laid out uh, places where it talks about pornography's effect on, and you name it, on, um, on the brain, on relationships, on an individual. 
So I wanted to tackle, they have one called How Porn Can Become Addictive. And this became pretty important to me just lately because I had someone again uh, say, well, you know, um, I've been reading a little bit about pornography addiction and I know that it might not even be an addiction. So, you know, uh, how does that affect your work? And, uh, and I, you know, it was kind of funny because I said, well, it doesn't affect my work and, and people can kind of say whatever they want to say about it. But pornography creeps into almost every session that I have, whether I'm working with a teenage boy um, who is, uh, you know, who has self-esteem issues or who has some goals set um, where he wants to do certain things in his life that would maybe um, that require him to kind of put pornography aside. Or what I typically see are men who have then began to turn to pornography as a coping mechanism, as a stress reliever, as an outlet, and it has become a very, very severe addiction where it causes them, again, as I mentioned earlier, to isolate, to pull away from family, friends, their spouse, to to lack productivity, and uh, and then just to you know slowly become the person that they never intended on being, far from the person that they ever dreamed of being, which only then feeds the addiction. So I want to talk more about that. So um, that debate can be out there of whether or not pornography is an addiction or not. I'm I'm I, that's uh, that one kind of doesn't. Um, that one doesn't phase me because in my work it clearly does uh, it is an addiction. So, but um, fightthenewdrug.org has a nice article that says how porn can become addictive. So let me talk about that. Um, this uh, and I'm going to read a lot out of this um, article, and then I want to throw my two cents in too. The article says a lot of people are convinced there's no such thing as an addiction to porn. But science disproved the old belief uh, that in order to have an addiction, it has to involve a substance. So that was the problem. Um, And that's the part where when people kind of hear the headline that, you know, is pornography an addiction? That's where a lot of this comes from, is a lot of people don't agree, actually, on what the word addiction means. There's uh, Dr. Nora Volkow, who is a director of the United States National Institute on Drug Abuse, is convinced that porn addiction is real. And she even suggested changing uh, the National Institute of Drug Abuse's name in order to recognize addictions such as pornography, gambling, and food. And again, now we're kind of getting back into my world where I see these things as, as addictions quite often, um, regularly. So in fact, it, research shows that of all the forms of online entertainment, like gambling, gaming, surfing, and social networking, that porn has the strongest tendency to be addictive. And uh, we can kind of talk about that. Doctors and scientists, again, I'm reading from this article from fightthenewdrug.org, used to believe that in order to have an addiction to something, it has to involve a substance that is uh, physically put into the body, like cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs. But here's the key. Once scientists started to look inside the brain, it changed our understanding of how addictions work. What's important, we now know, is not necessarily what gets inside the body or how it got there, but rather the reactions it triggers in the brain. And, and now, you know, we're kind of coming back into my dojo. The reactions it triggers in the brain, where the brain goes as far as in terms of the habit center. Uh, cigarettes, alcohol, and drugs bring in foreign chemicals into the body in a, in a myriad of ways, sniffed, injected, um, drunk from a glass, lit on fire, or smoked. But porn and other behavioral addictions like gambling bring no new chemicals or substances into the body that weren't already there. Think about that. So no, the, the, no introduction of, um, of chemicals that weren't already there in the brain. But these behaviors initiate strikingly similar processes inside the brain like substance addictions, and that's what makes them potentially addictive. They hijack the brain's reward pathways. And I want you to know on this article on fightthenewdrug.org, all of this has nice little links to some research. So let me say that again. The, these things hijack the brain's reward pathway. So that's what every addictive substance of, of habit and, and habit does. It, it hijacks the brain's reward pathways. So porn might enter through a different way. Um, so the article says it might enter through a different how and be a different what. But ultimately, it does the very same thing as these drugs that, are, that, that come in through, um, through substances. So here we go. 
the, the article goes on to say, your brain comes equipped with something called a reward center. So its job is to motivate you to do things that protect and promote your survival, things like eating to stay alive or having sex to produce babies, which we could kind of go off on a tangent there. When I get people in here that are talking about pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior, let me first normalize that, that sexuality is, is 100% okay. Um, you know, uh, whether you're coming at it from a religious standpoint, whether you're coming at it from a, um, you know, how beautifully, uh, you know, um, things work to be able to produce, uh, babies, um, that that is a natural instinct that, uh, that is there within us as humans. I often then tell my clients when they come in that, first of all, I want to remove the guilt and shame. It's kind of like, what do you want to do with, uh, with what you're bringing me? Is it affecting your relationships? Is it affecting your goals, your future plans? Then let's work to help you overcome the problems that you're, that you're seeing with regard to pornography, addiction, compulsive sexual behavior. But the desire for sexuality is normal. Um, if you're religious, again, that's God-given. God said, pro- uh, uh, what procreate, replenish the earth. Um, and if you're not, I mean, you know, that is part of, of who we are, our very fabric. That is, if you go into evolutionary biology, um, that is what what the you know the human species does to continue to um, to keep the species alive. It is to reproduce. But uh, but then we go back into what is your relationship like with sexuality? Your relationship like with sex? What is it doing to affect you in your relationships? And and is it stunting and warping your ability to have healthy relationships? And again, in my world, that's one of the biggest problems that I see. So um, so. Your brain then comes equipped with this reward center, and so that is that is okay. That's a good thing. The way it rewards you for doing th- these things is by flooding your brain with dopamine, and dopamine is a feel-good chemical and a cocktail of other pleasure chemicals each time that you do, each time that you act upon something that then hits this reward center. Um, but your brain doesn't always reward you for the right things, and that is absolutely key. So, um, for example, it produces higher levels of dopamine when you have chocolate cake than it does for whole wheat bread. Love the fact that this article points that out. That's one of the hardest things about whether it's a food addiction or one of the hardest things about breaking free from these, uh, whether they're high calorie or, or yummy foods. Um, because your brain literally provides more dopamine, higher levels of dopamine when you have something tasty and yummy than it does for whole wheat bread. Why? Uh, I love this because 3,000 years ago, high calorie foods were really hard to come by. So when our ancestors stumbled upon some woolly mammoth, it was go time. So uh, now Reese's and Kit Kats, I can speak from experience even as of this morning, are just too easily available and especially when they come in Christmas packages because you know that they are incredibly fresh. So, um, so porn is basically sexual junk food. When a person's looking at porn, their brain is fooled into pumping out dopamine just as if they were really seeing a potential mate. So sure, filling your brain with feel-good chemicals might sound like a great idea, but just like with junk food, it's more dangerous than it seems. Now, let's enter article number two. This one, man, I, this one is, has just been fascinating to me, and I've been trying to share this one more and more with my clients over the last couple of weeks when it was brought to my attention. There's, a, there's an article that is a little bit of... Um, What's the word? Not quite clickbait, but Harvard scientist reveals the shocking impact of watching porn. This is by Justin Brown. This is from April 4th of 2017. And it refers to a psychiatrist named Kevin Majerus, who specializes um, and he, he works at a Harvard medical school. And so writing in a blog post, and I thought this was so well played out. Majerus breaks down how the brain works and what happens during repeated exposure to pornography. Um, and, and of course, when we think of pornography and research, we think of the mating patterns discovered in rats. Am I correct? Um, mating patterns discovered in rats. 
Scientists have discovered if you place a male rat in a cage with a receptive female, they will mate. But once done, the male rat will not mate more times, even if the female is still receptive. Here is where my ADD brain has a very hard time not making jokes about um, how can they identify if the female is receptive. Um, Anyway, do they dress her up nice? Regardless. But at that point, after he mates with one, he loses all sexual interest. But if right after he finishes with the first female, you put in a second receptive female, he will immediately mate again, and a third, um, if a third receptive female is introduced, and so on, until he nearly dies. Again, this is from Harvard uh, psychiatrist um, Kevin Majerus. This effect has been found in, get this, every animal studied, and this is called the Coolidge effect. Now, the, the woman in my office, a wonderful woman who's going to come on in a, in a couple episodes and talk about working with uh, kids and therapy, um, you know, she said, uh, hey, do you want to know why it's called the Coolidge effect? And, um, and she shared something with me I thought was really funny. I'll paraphrase. But uh, basically, um, President Calvin Coolidge, apparently he and his wife were touring some farm, a chicken farm, something like that. And Mrs. Coolidge walks by and there's a rooster and he's, he's busy mating away, um, kind of doing what roosters do. And, uh, and the person that is with Mrs. Coolidge says, hey, what's that rooster doing? And where he points out, um, mating. Uh, he mates all day, Mrs. Coolidge, to which apparently she says, um, you know, with, uh, uh, he does it all day, huh? Um, and she says, yeah, you know, he can just go and go and go. And she says, tell that to the president. So then when Mr. Coolidge walks up or President Coolidge comes up a bit later and is, is informed that that is what his wife wanted to pass along to him, he just simply said, uh, one hen. And the guy said, no, um, multiple hens. And then he said, tell that to the, uh, my wife. I meant to download something that would play a little snare drum right there, um, but I forgot to get that. So, back to the article. Pornography's power comes in the way it tricks a man's lower brain. Here's where it gets really uh, interesting. One of the drawbacks of this region is that it can't tell the difference between an image and reality, so the same processes are kicked off. The problem with pornography is that it offers men an unlimited number of supposedly willing females. Every time a man sees a new potential partner, even if it's on a computer screen, it gets his sex drive going again. So here's what Majerus had to say about the role of, and here's why I went uh, down this path, dopamine. That's where we kind of jumped off on the Fight the New Drug article, right? Um, Here's what he says about dopamine in this process. Dopamine is the drug of desire. When you see something desirable, your brain pours out dopamine. And and in doing so, your brain's saying, go for it, do whatever it takes. Dopamine fixes your attention on that desirable object, giving you this power of concentration. So when someone clicks and sees a new pornographic image, his lower brain thinks, this is it, the real thing. This is the lady I have to win over with all my might. So he gets an enormous dopamine flood in his upper brain, causing a wild amount of electrical energy. He's focused. He's locked in. This is my mate. So if you think about it, the first exposure to a new female who was a potential mate wasn't something that happened a lot to our ancestors. Uh, That was something that um, Majerus talks about might have only happened once in their lives. So the brain thinks this is a big deal. Um, It doesn't know that now the game has completely changed. It doesn't understand that these are virtual females only. So with every new one, it causes another flood of dopamine. Time after time, click after click, as long as he continues, it's a dopamine binge. Now, go back into my office, and I often have people that will say they get to the point where they are mindlessly clicking. In my Path Back Recovery Program, um, I, I... I think zombies were hot at the time, so you know I talk a lot about just kind of this zombie-like state where men are just clicking and clicking and clicking and clicking, and they can spend literally hours just just mindlessly uh, zombie-like, you know, going through pornographic images, videos, whatever. Um, and it's and, and they've wondered why. You know, at that point, I say that our sexual, you know, their sexuality is warped, and uh, and Majerus gives us a better idea why. He, Majerus continues. This is why pornography causes a vicious cycle. 
Um, when somebody views pornography, he gets overstimulated by dopamine. So his brain destroys some dopamine receptors. So this makes him feel depleted. So he goes back to pornography. But now having fewer dopamine receptors, this time it requires more to get the same dopamine thrill. But this causes his brain to destroy more receptors. So he feels an even greater need for pornography to stimulate him. So as guys keep, and I like he uses this phrase, gaming the dopamine system, they start to find that they have to use pornography for longer and longer periods to have the same effect. And they have to visit more and more sites. And it kind of gets a little bit um, worse from there. Uh, Even what happens when more porn sites don't cut it, what then? Majera said you then have to stimulate another emotion, and often that's fear or disgust or shock or surprise. So for pornography use, sometimes people start to move into kinkier things or things that make them feel afraid or maybe even a bit sick, and they start experimenting with various um, perversions. So that's uh, the end of his quote. So it's a good read, um, and the article goes on to even say the science might be unclear on the physical side effects of porn, but uh, Majerus makes a strong case at the very least that pornography is, number one, highly addictive, there's that word, and number two, and uh, very, very, uh, I added the various, harmful to relationships. So kind of regardless of what you think of porn from the moral perspective, the fact is that it's so addictive, I would hope could cause somebody to kind of rethink their relationship with pornography. And I think that that plays in, and I never, I am a strength-based therapist, okay, fine, I'm an optimist, but I never want somebody to read something like that and think, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm hosed, like there's no hope for me. That is absolutely unclear. We can stop the, the, the process. We can stop these patterns of behavior and we can, can reclaim your life. That is something that I have watched happen literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men and women and couples and teenagers. And, and that is the part where, again, if you have tried to stop viewing pornography or tried to stop pornography and masturbation and you are unsuccessful, just do me a solid, as the kids say. Um, head over to pathbackrecovery.com or, or email me through contact at pathbackrecovery.com. Do something. Um, be, get a little vulnerable because I'm telling you, uh, that's why I love that article by Majerus that it talks about every time we're doing that, um, we're kind of making it a little bit worse for ourselves. But again, not in a negative way, in a loving, strength-based, hopeful way. There are ways to overcome that. But part of it is, is just starting to, to deal with it, starting to talk about pornography. And, and I know that's a vulnerable thing. I work with so many um, individuals and couples that they are frightened to death that if people find out about this part of them. And in my Path Back Recovery program, I talk about it, this part, this subpersonality of theirs, this, this dual life. Um, they're so worried that people will just abandon and flee. Um, and, and so, but that's, you know, that's what therapists are here to work with. That's what the pathbackrecovery.com is here to work with. It's, it's let's, there are tools. Trust me, there are tools. I'm on the soapbox right now. So when we last left off, we were talking about porn, it's back to fight the new drug.org's article. Porn is basically sexual junk food. So this is that part again, when a person is looking at porn, their brain is fooled into pumping out dopamine. There we go. Just as if they were seeing a potential mate. Now we've got a little bit of something that Majera shared with us, that Coolidge effect that makes sense as to what that means. More dopamine as if it were a potential mate because the lower brain doesn't know the difference between a virtual image and reality. So we go back to this feeling your brain with feel-good chemicals might sound like a swell idea, but again, like with junk food and with Oreos and with Kit Kats, um, 
it's more dangerous than it seems. Kind of fun fact. I watched a documentary not too long ago called Vegucated. Um, it was talking about uh, kind of living a more plant-based lifestyle. And uh, just a fun fact there, they talked about how apparently Oreos are a vegan food. So sometimes I can't lie where my train of thought goes when I'm working with a client. And they share with me that they're a vegan because uh, I've, I've experimented with a plant-based diet and, and I've really enjoyed it. It's um, But then every now and again, I smell a hamburger. So... Um, but uh, sometimes when I hear vegan, I think, oh, wait a minute. Now I know that that could be filled with Oreos and licorice. But, uh, but I know that's not the case. That's me being a little more cynical. Okay, let's go back to here's where thank you, fightthenewdrug.org. Please, again, go there if you want more information. But I didn't know. We, they break it down even more. So it says when porn enters the brain, it triggers the reward center to start pumping out the dopamine. We've got that, right? But then that sets off a cascade of chemicals, including a protein called delta Fos b Delta Fospi's regular job is to build a new nerve pathway to mentally connect what someone is doing, i.e. consuming porn, to the pleasure that he or she feels. So these strong new memories outcompete other connections in the brain, making it easier and easier to return to porn. I go back to that uh, episode I did on the virtual couch a while ago about um, creating habits, about the book The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg that talks about the habit center and talks about when we, when something becomes habitual, we file it back into the basal ganglia, this little walnut-sized shape, this habit center of the brain, and then our brain is constantly wanting to chill. And so, uh, so once something becomes habitual, we file it back into the basal ganglia, and then at that point, the brain just kind of kicks into uh, autopilot. So, you know, you start to put all these things together. And so at that point, you know, if, if it kind of gets into that autopilot section, um, that can be, you know, that can be more of a challenge. So it says, but Delta Foss B has another job. And this is why its nickname is the Molecular Switch for Addiction. Um, not the most exciting nickname, but we'll take it. The Molecular Switch for Addiction. If enough Delta Foss B builds up, it flips a genetic switch, causing lasting changes in the brain that leave the user more vulnerable to addiction. It doesn't say that they are hosed forever, but if enough of this Delta Foss B is, is built up, this genetic switch is flipped, and there we go, causing the brain um, lasting changes that leave the user more vulnerable to addiction. So for teens, this risk is especially uh, high because a teen's reward center um, and their brain responds to, according to this research, two to four times more powerfully than an adult's brain. So it releases higher levels of dopamine and produces more Delta Foss B. Now, overloaded with dopamine, the brain will try to defend itself by releasing another chemical. This is the one that I wasn't aware of. It's called Kreb. It's called Kreb because, as fightthenewdrug.org says, because no one actually wants to have to say its real name, and I'm going to give it a shot here. Kreb stands for Sicilic Adenosine Monophosphate Response Element Binding Protein, or Kreb. Kreb is like the brakes on a runway reward center. It slows the pleasure response. So with Kreb, and I get that. So... You know, so overloaded with dopamine, the brain, I mean, the brain does so many amazing things to try to survive that if it's, if it's saying, oh, this guy's, this guy's binging on dopamine, the brain says, uh, you know, let's get the Kreb in there and uh, Kreb comes in and it's like breaks on the runway reward center. It slows the pleasure response. So with Kreb on board, porn that once excited a person stops having the same effect, which I think kind of goes back to that study that I read by Majerus. Scientists believe that Kreb is partly why consumers have to keep increasing their porn intake to get aroused. So that numbed out state is called tolerance, and it's part of any kind of addiction. So, boy, you've got all kinds of things. Again, and let's go back to the beginning. These things are all on board. You don't get Kreb through an Oreo, right? You don't get dopamine um, through a Kit Kat, although dopamine will be triggered and released by a Kit Kat, at least in my case, especially one that's been in the freezer for a little while. Um, but that numbed out state is called tolerance, and it's part of any kind of addiction. So 
As porn consumers become desensitized from repeated overloads of dopamine, they often find they can't feel normal without the dopamine high. We've established that. Even other things that used to make them feel happy, like going out with friends or playing a favorite game, stop providing enjoyment because of the dulling effects of Kreb, the breaks. They experience strong cravings and often find themselves giving more and more of their time and attention to porn, sometimes to the detriment of relationships, school, or work, some of the things that I've touched on earlier. Some report feeling anxious or down until they can get back to their porn because they're looking for their fix. They're looking for their fix. So what have we learned today? Um, I have a little list here. The list says get... Okay, it's a shopping list. Let me turn the page. Okay, uh, all right. So here's the part where I want to I want to end this with a little bit of hope, a little bit of. Uh, so we've identified, and and the reason I wanted to to identify these the way that the brain works, um, the way that the my belief, and I love the backing there from FightTheNewDrug.org. Um, Susan, no, Nora Volkow director of the United States National Institute on Drug Abuse, is that the whether it's an addiction, not an addiction, you know, in my, again, in my dojo, it's an addiction. That's what people are bringing to me, and it is negatively impacting their life, their relationships, their job, their relationship with God, their relationship with their kids, they're, they're reaching their potential. Um, so to me, you can argue addiction, not addiction. It is, it is, to, it is with what I work with. It's impacting people's lives. Now, <clears throat> I'm a big fan as well of once we have identified that, once we have that data, now we can do something about it. I go back and I reference it a time or two. The book, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck says life is difficult. But guess what? Um, nobody, nobody promised us it was going to be easy. And once we, once we go ahead and, and say, okay, it's difficult, then the fact that life is difficult no longer matters because now, now that we can understand, hey, life's going to be difficult. We're going to get these problems. We're going to have these addictions. We're going to have these uh, family relation issues. We're going to have these struggles with addiction, or we're going to have struggles with depression or anxiety or uh, bipolar or ADD, whatever it is. Once we have that data, guess what? Now we can work on it. Now we got to be a little bit vulnerable. We might have to seek help from somebody, but but that's why that's why I have a job. That's why I'm passionate about what I do. Once we have that data, once we seek help, there are people that can help, and and you can still live this <clears throat> excuse me this amazing, uh, purpose driven, just satisfactory life. Whether it's as an individual or whether it's in your couple's relationships. I didn't mean to get on this soapbox just yet. Um, let me get one more drink of water here. Uh, awkward pause. <clears throat> Okay, so, um, but so what I want to talk about though is we have that, we now have that information, we have that data. So, you know, I want you to be honest with yourself. And if you or someone that you're close to, or someone if you're, you know, if someone you have stewardship over, if somebody, if you're in a work setting, um, you can be this agent for change. Again, pornography is not going away. It's a plague. And so we are we are the pioneers in the fight for pornography. I remember one time in the computer industry having someone say, uh, pioneers get the arrows, settlers get the land. Well, we got to take a few arrows. I think these are arrows that aren't going to they aren't going to kill us. Um, so we got to we got to take on these errors. People have to start talking about this. People have to start. You know, um, I do I do trainings and and I've done corporate trainings. I've done trainings at schools. I've done training a lot of trainings at churches. I've done uh, leadership seminars, leadership retreats, and where you know we can talk about communication. We can talk about um, emotionally focused therapy, emotional bids, a whole new paradigm of a way to talk. But at the at the core of things. I think we need to be doing more trainings on the dangers of pornography addiction. We need and and how it can warp one's sexuality, um, the objectification. Pornography causes us to objectify women. Uh, pornography causes us causes us to see 
um, people as objects and not as people. Uh, again, if we're, if, you know, to me, um, you know, I want to, I want to see somebody as a person. I want to see them for all of the things they bring into their, um, you know, into their situation. I see, you know, I see him as a daughter of God. I see him as a, as a you know, brother or sister. You want to view them that way and not as an object. You want to view somebody with respect. So what do we do with this? The, the programs like pathbackrecovery.com. There's other programs out there as well. Seek uh, to, to get help. Um, I wanted to kind of give a little bit of a, a quick, um, you know, in my program, we talk. I talk a lot about you know what we can do is we can identify triggers. There are triggers. Triggers aren't just oh, I see a beautiful girl. Triggers are boredom. The number one trigger in my world uh, that I work with is I call it crimes of opportunity. It's people who are bored and who have the opportunity. Once there's a trigger, there often comes the thought. Uh, the thought that they can act out, the thought that somebody can turn to pornography, the thought that somebody can isolate. And then after that thought comes action. So I have my clients work, you know, I wanted to hammer home that trigger thought action, trigger thought action. And that's with any um, negative or compulsive or habitual behavior. And that's part of the the, the mindful habit system that uh, um, that, that I've been trained in trigger thought action. So we look to identify and, and if we can minimize triggers, a lot of the triggers are biologically hardwired. And so I think in the past, that's where we've jumped in on the guilt and shame is like, you know, guilting people about the triggers. Triggers are biologically hardwired. Um, we can avoid a lot of them. We can be very aware of them. And, and I haven't even said anything about mindfulness in this entire podcast. But then after the trigger, if we know there's a trigger there, we can often assume that the thought is coming next of the, the, that I'm, I can act out. And then the key is putting distance between thought and action. That's where the magic happens. Again, we can minimize uh, by being aware of triggers. And then when a thought comes, um, then we want to put distance between thought and action. For a lot of people, uh, once that thought hits their brain, and now thanks to this, all the, the research we talked about today, we know now that now these things become this habitual pattern kicks into play. The brain says, I got this, you know, and now the, the brain starts going, all right, hey, here come, we got the dopamine coming. I'm getting excited. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, but then we got, you know, we got the crib, we got the brakes put in there. Um, we've got all of these things now that start kicking in there and you didn't even, in, you know, ingest a chemical, uh, but your brain already starts to go into action. So we got a trigger, then we got a thought and then action. We're going to put distance between the thought and the action. Um, programs like pathbackrecovery.com uh, do a lot of work on kind of how do we get to the point we're at and why helps give us awareness. But now between thought and action, there's a couple of ways to tackle that. Uh, one, you can do behavioral. You can do anything behavioral. I have a lot of success with people at first that are, you know, I remember the first time that I did a behavioral intervention. I remember the guy well. It was over a decade ago uh, and it was push-ups. And this guy got really good at push-ups. Every time there was that thought before, you know, to put distance between the thought and the action it was push-ups. Um, there's a real popular program with the youth um, that uh, where they say, go touch a mailbox. And I, I love the first time I had somebody say, you know, can you believe that? When uh, when, I'm, when I think about wanting to go look at porn, I'm supposed to go touch a mailbox. I'm like, yeah, that's brilliant. Because guess what? That's putting distance between thought and action. Um, and, uh, you know, I have with my clients, I mean, this behavioral stuff, I have them write out a list of, okay, what's your relapse prevention plan? So when, when you feel triggered and you have a thought of acting out, I want you to carry around a list. I've got some great examples of lists of things that people can do. That they can go right down this list, and it might be push-ups. It might be running up and down the stairs. It might be um, calling someone. I've had people that have called one eight hundred numbers and talked to people about Ginzu knives or whatever else. They don't even care what they're what they're who they're calling, but it t- puts distance between that thought and action. I've had people that have, um, you know, you hear the things about freezing credit cards and ice, you know, or that sort of thing. I've had people that have. 
um, set up uh, um, filters or routers that block pornography, and then they have a friend set the password and put the password in a block of ice. And so then if somebody wants to get to that, uh, they have to unthaw this block of ice. And by the time that block of ice thaws, then hopefully that, you know, they've kind of felt this power or they felt that wave kind of move through them. Um, So you got behavioral. But the key, and this is where we'll talk about this on another episode, uh, the most efficacious treatment right now we're finding is that mindfulness. Um, There's a great study out of Utah State that uh, 92% effective in this one particular study. It's short term, but it's talking about being able to change the relationship with the thought. Here's being mindful, having that thought and then recognizing that thought and just moving it on through your brain, being more focused, more present. And that's where some sort of daily mindfulness practice, or I've had you know people that have been very, very uh, mindful in prayer and been very specific and, and you know direct in, in taking time to uh, to get down on their knees or to say a prayer that uh, will help them be focused, present, and, and be able to do the things that they need to do to avoid acting out. So again, trigger thought action, putting distance between that thought and action, whether you have to start with behavioral interventions, and then but eventually we want to move on to cognitive or you know mental. We want to be able to take care of that in our head because the more you do that, the more now you're causing that uh, neuropathway, that, that, to, that um uh, process the lock in, and then as that becomes moved into the habit center, you know you start to feel some power. You start to put some distance, and uh, then you start to recognize, man, I can do this. So, um, and that is ultimately my hope is that I want you to hear a podcast like today, and a lot of good research there. I think a lot of that will help us understand that this really is something that we need to be aware of. We need to talk about. We need to fight. Um, but there are there are some amazing tools then with this awareness, on, and you know now what we do um, that can help you overcome pornography addiction, compulsive sexual behavior. It can help you reclaim your life and and change your relationship with sexuality. It can help you uh, be aware of and stop objectifying people. And uh, and that brings a tremendous amount of power. Um, for people who think that they can never get over this, give it a try and, 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 and fight this. You know, give it all you have. Be vulnerable. And I have people every day, maybe not literally every day, weekly, every week, every couple of days that report back that they never realized they could have the relationship they do with sexuality. But even better, they never realized what it was doing to them, the, how it was impacting their self-esteem and how now they have these incredible relationships with their partners. They are vulnerable. They are open. They are honest. And can I kind of tell you something, at least even from a marriage standpoint, that when you get to that point, now we're talking about good old EFT. We're talking about emotionally focused therapy. We're talking about being able to feel like you can go to your partner and tell them anything, even when you are feeling triggered and you know that they're going to be there and they're going to have awareness. They're not going to fix and judge. And this is with a lot of work. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not discounting that for those who have, you know, there's been betrayal or betrayal trauma. I'm not putting that aside. That, that needs its own work. And that is going to be a separate podcast. Trust me, because uh, right now I'm doing an amazing training with a group that uh, does betrayal trauma training. And I can't wait to get a couple of people on the podcast that talk about that. But you can rebuild relationships. But the start of that is being able to put this relationship with pornography and uh, behind you. And you can do that 
Um, and, and I'm going to kind of tone down the, uh, the motivational speaker talk here. Uh, I think you've heard it for about the last five minutes. But uh, thank you for your time. Um, I, I, I honestly, I can't wait. This made me think about five or six other things I would love to talk about with regard to um, overcoming pornography addiction. But so if you need help, please, please seek out today. If you're, uh, you know, if you want to reach out to me at contact at pathbackrecovery.com, feel free to jump on there and sign up for the Pathback program, download the ebook that talks about five common mistakes that people make in overcoming pornography addiction. Reach out to someone in your area, the certified sexual addiction therapist, um, or, or, you know, feel free. Make sure you ask. You can ask your therapist anything. Go back to the first episode I did with Shauna Roberts, where we it's, we answered Q&As. We did a lot about what to ask your therapist. Interview your therapist. This is, this is something that's important to you. You need a good connection with your therapist. Um, because you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to get some good work done. But you can reach out to your ecclesiastical leader. Uh, hopefully they will have training or they'll have some resources uh, for you. Um, look online for programs. Find a therapist in your area. But do something. Take charge today. Uh, you know, I know this sounds cliched and cheesy, but you can become this person today. Uh, you don't have to wait until next week, next Monday, next month. You don't have to wait till January 1st. Um, you can do that today. Now, <laughs> no fixing your judgment. If you want to wait till January 1st, you bet. Please do not go on a pornography and masturbation bender until that day. Not very healthy. All you're doing now, thanks to the stuff we've covered today, is uh, kind of digging those neurotransmitters and those uh, brain responses in a little bit deeper. So, but, but make that change today. You are absolutely worth it. I mean that. I have watched people do amazing things and have relationships that they never thought they could have, that they've gone on to, to have self-esteem. They never had thought that they could have. They've rebuilt relationships with their family, with friends, with God, and that is why I love this work. Um, so thank you for taking the time. Uh, thank you for uh, to Aurora Florence. You're about to hear the song, It's Wonderful, and I, I chose that song long ago, well before the podcast was ever um, going to happen, because I truly believe that life is wonderful. And if that is not your experience, please seek help. It can be wonderful. There are people that can help and uh, all it takes is for you to just start to open up and be vulnerable, reach out, find somebody you can trust, and, uh, and start down that path back today, um, the path back to the life that you always wanted to be. Yeah, okay, no, no, no uh, surprise there. That's why I chose the, the, the path back as my recovery program. Um, folks, thanks so much for your trust. Thanks for listening this far, if there is anybody still listening. Um, uh, and I hope to hear from you soon. And I will see you next time on The Virtual Couch. Flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost. I'm floating past the midnight hour. They push aside the things that matter most.
Strengths and 